What's up, rockers? Welcome to another episode of the Talk Louder podcast, where we geek out on all things rock and roll. Hit that subscribe button on our YouTube channel. Leave us your likes and comments. You can also leave likes and comments on our Facebook page. Follow us on iTunes, Spotify, Instagram at talklouder underscore podcast. And of course, our website, talklouderpodcast.com, where you can find links to our merch and our previous episodes. Ah, man, I am excited about today's guest. Uh, We have Rich Jones and Billy Hopeless from the Black Halos. And one of the reasons I'm excited is I've been a fan of these guys for a long time. And I don't feel like they got a whole lot of press or attention in the United States. Uh, But they have a new album out. It's called How the Darkness Doubles. Uh, It dropped November 25th. And uh, Rich Jones, the guitarist, is also the guitarist and a primary songwriter in the Michael Monroe Band, uh, which, as you know, I'm a huge fan of. And Billy Hopeless, for my money, has one of the most unique voices in rock. And together, the Black Halos, for those who don't know, um, I, I don't know, I would... I, you know, just to summarize, I'd say they're, you know, their influences are somewhere in between the Dead Boys, Alice Cooper, and maybe the Misfits, kind of Darth, dark goth punk garage rock kind of stuff, uh, real gritty, good stuff. And uh, I'm glad to have them on the podcast today. If you, so, if you were to like uh, sort of hybrid the things that you're mentioning and and, you know, and they even talk about it in this episode about comparisons to the dolls and the dead boys and things like that. Um, and, and how maybe they don't hear that because they're yeah. too close to it. Um, I have to kind of agree, like you're well versed in the, the band's material and I am not. And it's a true confession. Um, I think I made a good fly on the wall and I think that that we all had a great time in this episode, but, but back to what I was saying, the, the importance of uh, the scope of, of the black halos is, is they're writing what they know. And Mm -hmm. we prod them and talk about that quite a bit as well. Like, it sounds to me like rich writes the way that rich writes. Yeah. And I think that uh, Billy is being himself 100% all of the time. So when you get that sort of marriage, uh, you have a tone and a color that you are, whether you, whether your fan base that you've built, because obviously these guys have worked their ass off with some constant touring and they talk about that. Yeah. Uh, even though they had a quite a long break just by the laws of man and life gets in the way kind of shit. Uh, the, you know, the, they don't hear the comparisons to the dead boys, but when you, when you think about what I just, what you and I just described, you go like, wow, okay, they're kind of like this or that or the other. But when you hear it, you hear everything. So you can't say, oh, you know, they're like the dead boys. You can't yeah. just leave it. It's, it's open-ended. It's a, right. um, it's a bouquet. It's not one thing. Yeah, I, I threw out a couple band names just as points of reference. but I, I And really I love it. And I love it. And it made me think about what those guys were saying in the interview about yeah. you know, how they don't hear what other people hear. So. Right, right. And that and that's to be expected. I mean, there's probably people that talk about your bands and they say, I hear this and I hear that. And you go, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it was a lot of fun having him on the show. I'm a big fan of Rich, uh, his work with the Michael Monroe band. Uh, he's a primary songwriter on the previous two records from Michael Monroe. And those are great, great records. And uh, it's the first time that he and Billy and their other guitar player, Jay, have put out a proper full-length album in 2021 years uh so it's great to see them back together joining forces again and the resulting album is is fantastic so if you're a fan of their 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 hallmark album if you will is the is called the violent years it came out in 2001 and uh and they even say in the interview that this would have been a nice continuation from that time period and i have to agree so if you're a fan of the violent years check out the new album it's called how the darkness doubles the black halos today on the talk louder podcast we have a new album to talk about how the darkness doubled the latest album from the black halos first time that you guys have joined forces in like 20 
21 years or something like that. So uh, what took so long? <laughs> yeah, why don't you, you know, tell us how you really feel, Dave? Yeah. <laughs> well, as a fan, I've been waiting a long, long time. So I figure I got the two guys here that can give me the answer. It's funny, right? When you say like 20 years, I'm like, oh, my God, it feels so old. You know, well, thank, thank God Dave wasn't holding his fucking breath. <laughs> yeah, right. He'd be dead and blue and something. Yeah. <laughs> but, so 20, but, uh, yeah, go ahead. 20 some years. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, a lot of it is, you know, just life kind of kind of happens to you. Uh, you know, I moved, uh, you know, we were in Vancouver originally when the band was happening last time. And, you know, I moved uh, to London. I lived there for like 10 years. I lived in Berlin for like five years. Wow. Uh, so, you know, doing a band together was a little, you know, it was a little tricky. And, uh, and it kind of came back together like like pretty organically, you know, like uh, me and Billy did a tour of Spain in 2016. And, and you know, to be honest with you, we're like, if we're going to do a tour of Spain, then maybe we should record something. And then from there, it was like long distance writing. And, and it just it came back together in this way where it wasn't forced, you know, which is which is, I think, a good way to do it. I think that's it's why it's gone well so far. Yeah, I think that, you know, we when we went to Spain, we got real drunk. We had a lot of fun. And I think that really helped because sometimes when you're drunk, you know, the best laid plans really come together. And <laughs> really that never seems to happen. And then Jay, Jay, Jay seemed to we told Jay we got back and I remember like getting back and talking to Jay and Rich talked to Jay and saying you know, we had a great time in Spain and, you know, I'm still hung over. And I think Jay went, well, man, I want to be hung over with you guys and I want to have a good time too. So that really helped. And, you know, yeah, you know, you go to Spain's very, it's very, you know, it's just a great place. It's a lot of fun. It can really do wonders for you. I suggest everyone go there. Wow. So, um, uh, but prior to the new album, um, you guys actually did regroup a little bit, and this might have been the result of some of that long distance writing you were talking about. You put out that EP. Uh, I, I'm going to mangle the title Geisterbond 2 or yeah. something like that. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Is that yeah. it? Yeah. Okay. And that was sort of the initial uh, coming together of you guys again for after a long time. Is that right? Well, I put out this solo single. And I asked Rich to play on it. And Rich said, yeah, he'd play on it. And I think that sort of really got me going. I was like, wow, you know. And then when we went to Spain, it's like that we actually didn't have anything really to sell besides that. So it was kind of like, well, do you want to do this song? And Rich was like, nah, but we should do the Halos. I think that really, you know, sort of set the spark for the Geisterbond single and the songs on that. And, I remember when we were in Spain, there was sort of the plan was, okay, well, let's start writing. But of course, you know, you're having a good time in Spain, you're drinking a lot, and that's <laughs> what happens, right? <laughs> so, I'm seeing a theme here. Yeah, yeah. We, didn't, we didn't write a damn thing in Spain. <laughs> <laughs> had a great time. Well, the, the Geisterbond thing was sort of a reintroduction of the two of you guys and, and Jay uh, working together again. And, uh, I remember I reviewed it for my website, Too Fast to Die. And uh, I mean, it was like trying to review a three song EP. I wanted more to work with, but I couldn't not review it because those three songs were so good. And I like the variation, too. There was kind of the Tandem Drown, I thought was a nice, uh, slower song. Yeah, it was a it was good stuff. Of that one. Yeah, yeah. I, it, it might be my favorite on there as well. So that brings yeah, us I up. I we released that. <laughs> well, yeah, when I when I knew I was going to talk to you guys today, I was, you know, brushing up on my Black Halos. And I and I remembered, wait a minute, this album, this new album isn't the latest thing they've done. They did that EP and I need to find that again. So I dug it up and revisited it. Um, but then so that brings us to how the darkness doubled. Um, first of all, what, is there any significance to the title? Yeah, well, there's a couple things about it. Um, the title comes from a lyric from the song Marky Moon by Television, um, which I always really liked. I thought, you know, it was a great lyric. It was a song. great song. Yeah, and uh, and it's the line, I remember how the darkness doubled, you know. Um, and originally, we were going to make, you know, our third record in 2002 or whatever, and we were like, this is the title, you know. Yeah. Um, 
And, uh, and then it, it, it just always stuck in my head all these years, you know? And so when we were talking about doing this record, we're like, let's call it that, you know? Cause in a way, you know, it's the first record we've made together in 20 years, you know, me, Billy and Jay, the other guitar player. And so I'm like, it's kind of fitting that we kind of go with the title of what that next record was going to be anyways, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I remember we were drunk in the van, I think, after a show or something, and we were listening to Marky Moon album, and that came on, and th that subject came up of, yeah, you know, that'd be a great album title. And, you know, it does, it really makes a lot of sense to me, because when I first, I remember when I first met Rich Jones, we won't go into the details on that, that time, but it was, it's always been sort of that way to me. I've always looked like, well, you know, we could be brothers in so many ways. It's, it's, you know, when we when we hate each other, we hate each other. When we love each other, we love each other. But it's really, you know, it's sort of that. It's like, wow, I finally found someone that thinks like I do. That's yeah. terrible. That's terrible news for the earth. People <laughs> on this planet, you know, that was like, oh God, dude, my, I've had like my wife said that. She's always said like, oh God, she said it was like there was two of you, and that's terrible. <laughs> I know. I'm like, is this a compliment or an insult? I can't. <laughs> it's kind. Of, it's kind of like, man, I wish Rich was here. Wow, I wish Billy was here. Well, we could just clone you and said, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> One is yeah. enough. Yeah, yeah. But so, you know, the good thing about it though is, is because you know we've been friends for you know almost thirty years. The band's been a band for almost thirty years. Um, when it came to writing long distance. I kind of already knew I'm like, this is going to work. This isn't going to work. And so we ended up writing like a lot of this record was written like from me living in Berlin and Billy in Vancouver. And then even me moving back to Canada and him in Vancouver. I mean, we pretty much did everything remotely, you know, oh, yeah. but I, I felt pretty confident that we could. Yeah. Let's talk about that for a second, if you don't mind. Do you, I mean, obviously that's the new way. It's very normal now, especially mm -hmm. since lockdowns and shit. But uh, that's been, I mean, I've been writing that way for 10 years or more. Right. Because uh, I'm writing with people, well, like say exactly what you just described. They're not even in the same state or the same country. So yeah. uh, it's just like the fucking normal thing. If you can create a wave file with a microphone, you can make a fucking record. So, oh, yeah, we used to do it with cassettes. Yeah. You know? Yeah, sure. We, we wouldn't hang out together a lot, even, you know, back in the early days. So it'd be like... Here, I'd, I'd record something on a little voice cassette and then end up dropping it to Rich and vice versa. It's like a lot of that stuff where it's like you get an yeah. idea and record it back then on cassettes. Now it's just we've got more better technology. Sure. Uh, yeah. Text, text and, and voicemail bullshit, like just oh, yeah. melodies, I'm, lyric lines I'm, and whatever. Yeah, it's you're just forwarding shit. Uh, it's definitely the norm now. Do you feel like... Uh, compared to being sweaty in the garage uh, and writing like this way, do you feel like there is a difference in the way that, uh, you know, the emotional value comes across in your songs? No. Uh, <laughs> I, I agree. I agree with you. I agree. I actually agree with you. But I do feel like if all of us in this room here didn't know what that is like sweating in the garage as yeah. a band and writing a song that way and emotionally attached to what you're feeling and hearing as it's come together and knowing that that's the shit you wouldn't know what you were looking for not entirely if you were doing it via satellite no it's yeah. kind of like organic versus factory fine vegetables i can't really tell the difference honestly you know wow. when i go I go and it's like they're charging me more for organic stuff, organic pasta. I can't tell the difference between that and other pasta. It tastes the same. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the the I mean, listener and the, li the I'm sorry to interrupt. The listener doesn't really know what it is that, you know, how, how the, the track was born. They don't know that when they're, and they're not really going to one song to another and go, this was recorded analog written in a garage when these guys were 15 <laughs> And this was written when they were 30 via the internet. You know, can you tell the difference? It's not a forum. If does the song kick ass or does it not kick ass? Yeah, really totally. That's what it comes down to. I mean, right. the Misfits recorded like on so many bands. Well, you look at like, even the Beatles and stuff recorded on four tracks, right? Right. Four and eight tracks. 
And yeah, easy top, you know, same. Yeah. Oh, those guys were shit. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, right. I think I think it also depends though on on you know what you're doing, especially musically. You know, um, I think if you know if you had a band that was like the MC5 with these kind of like big jams and everything's kind of you know going wild and, and falling apart and coming together, you're not going to do that, right? Yeah, loose, uh, yeah. You're not going to do that unless you all get in a room together. Yeah. Um, but I think when you're kind of like, let's put a song together, let's structure it and do all that, then it works. Um, and, and, That's you know, a very, really, very, very, very good point, whether it be Sign of the Times or, I mean, I'm sure that if you could get the, you know, the drummer and maybe like the bass player or something to put together a jam track, I'm sure the rest of the people could cut on top of that and it would feel like what, what you described. But yeah, you're right. That's a really, really strong point. And, and I think it's worth, worth talking about. Okay, and uh, rant over. <laughs> Let, let's uh, run down some of the songs uh tenement kids the first single uh i love it i love the video why did you choose right. it as the first single because there's a lot of strong contenders on this record what made that one your first choice for single uh, the record company <laughs> the truth. i love these guys they're brutally honest <laughs> i mean you know we we had a short list but but i think um I don't think there's a lot of value in, in fighting with your record company over what they want to release from the record. You know, I'm like, you know, we're not going to put stuff on the record that we don't believe in anyway. So I'm like, this is kind of our short list and hopefully they kind of feel the same way and they did. So I think they picked like three, three or four songs to kind of start with. And one of them we'd already released as a single. So we're like, just get rid of that. And, uh, and then it just kind of became obvious that that was going to be the one. So yeah. um, it wasn't, it, it was, it was actually kind of, weirdly easy were you, were you uh was there any concern on your end that this would be your first reintroduction after 20 years would would did you give it a little more thought than maybe you normally would that hey we need to make we need to come out with a bang so we're really feeling this song versus that song as a single um so I, you know i thought that more about the record than about like yeah. how it was going to be marketed you know what i mean like because that's really what it is right yeah um, it, the video is a commercial for your record. Um, sure. And so, I, you know, I'm, for me, it was more important, like, this record's got to kick ass, it's got to sound great, the songs got to be good. You know, it, it, we can't put out something half-assed after all this time. So that, that was really, like, where my head was at with all of it. I don't know about if you cared or not, Billy. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, once, you know, when we remember when you sent me the chorus idea, and I was working, I work in social housing overnight. I was like, oh, when he gave me the title on the course, I was like <laughs> looking around going, well, yeah, this is exactly, uh, do I know this is what I'm doing right now? And I was like, this is going to write itself. But as soon as the first lyric came out of my mouth of crooks and castles, cracks and assholes, I was like, we're, this is it. This song is really great. We're really on to something here. This is like, great prose I'm writing. And so, yeah, I think, you know, it makes a lot of sense. That song made a lot of sense. It's a really good rocking song. And, yeah. you know, it kicks you where you live. And that's really, you know, that's how it is. It's really important. I think that song really, it's a very good statement for the times we're living in. And uh, it, it really kicks you in the nuts. Yeah. You know, that's what you want. Like you said, you want a bull coming out of the chute. That one, that one really has that right from crooks and castles, cracks and assholes. You know you're, you know you're writing something that's going to kick in the nuts. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think it was a, you know, whoever made the decision, it was a great choice. And as Rich says, I mean, you could have basically thrown a dart at the album and any, any song it hit would have been fine. Oh, they're all fantastic. Yeah. Uh, which leads me to Better Days. You just released this as the second <laughs> single yesterday or the day before or something like that. Something like that, yeah. And uh, Rich, I saw something in uh, in some of the press release that uh, basically you were saying that uh, this was a riff that originated as uh, as a Michael Monroe. It's something you had written for Michael Monroe band. Um, yeah, um, yeah, we did we, last summer. Um, was it last summer? I guess I guess the previous <laughs> summer. Now um, we started doing pre production for Michael Monroe record in, in Finland and. 
I just, you know, I, I've written a lot already and I felt like the record was kind of missing something with where we were going at the time. And I'm like, eh, I can bash one of these out in 10 minutes. And it, it was really kind of like that, the original version of it. it. It was pretty quick. And, you know, it was just kind of one of those like uh, kind of songs. Yeah. And, uh, and we ended up kind of taking that record a different way. But I'm like, you know, this is a pretty good song still. So I sent it to the Black Hills guys. And, and I'm like, you know, I have this if you guys want it. But normally me and Billy co-write everything. So I'm like, I totally get it if you don't want to sing this or if you don't want to do it. But he was like, no, man, it's cool. So um, it ended up working out really good. I actually think it works better with this band than it would have with Michael. So, yeah. And yeah. I... One of the things I heard, uh, and I heard this back going back to the Geisterbahn uh, EP, is uh, you have a very distinctive stamp, Rich. And it's like, I look at the last two, I'm a huge fan of the Michael Monroe band, as everybody who listens to this podcast probably knows, but because <laughs> um, uh, I rant about you guys all the time. But I hear... It, there's a lot of songs on the Geisterbahn EP and on this latest Black Halos record that I listen to the guitar tones and the riffs and the way the choruses are put together. And I can imagine them being Michael Monroe songs. Um, and I looked at the credits on the Monroe records, the past two records, you're all over those things. And I think it's, uh, it's just, I'm just pointing out the fact that I think you have a very distinctive sound. Uh, and you take the Michael Monroe band and you take the Black Halos and you swap the vocalists and it's almost interchangeable to my ears. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, I think, think the Black Halo stuff is a little darker. Oh, uh, for sure. Yeah. I was going to, if I may, um, Rich's footprint is there. It's like, you know, there's a Yeti. Oh, Rich was here again. You know, then you got you know, the abominable snowman shows up. That's, that is not rich, but that's rich. And Rich has been here. So uh, that obviously you can see Michael coming a mile, a mile away, but yeah. when Billy is singing on your somewhat interchangeable style of writing, I think it takes off to another level of grit. Yeah. Yeah. It's you definitely know, darker with Billy singing. Yeah, I mean, you choose which you choose which grit of sandpaper you like the most. There's grit. I mean, Michael's got grit, but it ain't Billy grit, right? No, no, it yeah. ain't. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think anybody's got Billy grit. It's a compliment. It's a compliment. <laughs> compliment to the writing, a compliment to Billy, a compliment to the lyric, right? Well, well that, all, that, that, all, that all comes together on the album too, because Michael does a duet with Billy on the record. So and even you know, better, right? I was just yeah. going to go there. Speaking of Michael and Billy, uh, simultaneously, you guys share vocals on um, uh, "Ready to Snap," yeah, you know, song off the new album, which uh, is actually a cover of the Wanderers, uh, a Steve Bader's band from 1981. So. Uh, Tell me how you settled on that as a cover. And then it's pretty obvious how Michael got involved, but what was it like uh, <laughs> collaborating with him? Did, did, did he send his vocals over the internet and then you guys just kind of spliced it together? Tell us a little bit about that song. I, I think, did you pick it, Billy? I can't remember. Yeah. yeah well, you know, me and Rich has been said when we first met and stuff, it's like, you know, it's along with the dolls and like the stooges and stuff. I mean, we're devout followers of the church of the masturbators and so you know really i think it was like anything that he put out we're pretty much like same like the dolls it's like anything that you get johnny thunders tip baiters anything like that we're all over it and the wanders album you know i remember like me and rich both like going man some really great songs on here if they got rid of those keyboards yeah. <laughs> <laughs> those terrible keyboards but still even though with those terrible keyboards you couldn't help but listen to that album over and over again because hey it's stiff right yeah. <laughs> and yeah. that's that's that song just i always thought that was like you know coming from me and my the way i think in life there's certain songs when i hear a song and i think most people when you hear a song you know i can really relate to that Mm -hmm. You know exactly what the singer is singing, and I can really relate to it. Well, that's one of them for me. Where I'm like, yeah, yeah, that 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 song, I can totally relate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, but, yeah. I mean, the way the way we recorded it, it, it was kind of weird, slightly convoluted because we did, I did like a demo at my house, and then 
it was like, okay, this is actually sounding pretty good as the demo is. And I kind of chopped up the arrangement and stuff. And then it was like, well, you know, we'll just get Danny, our drummer. He can just, you know, replace the drums on it. And then one by one, we kind of replace stuff. And then we had a finished version with just Billy singing. Um, and that was, you know, that already sounded pretty good. And I, I, I think I'm, I guess I must've mentioned it to Michael. And then he was like, Oh, Oh, really? You know? And, uh, and, and I'm like, you want to sing on it? And he's like, Oh yeah. He's like, that'd be amazing. So I ended up last, uh, in the spring, uh, in Finland, I had like my laptop and I just had a little, little interface with me in my apartment. And, um, he came over and we basically just tracked the thing in like an hour or something, you know, he did like three or four takes and they were all great. I'm like, this is, this is great, man. I'll just cut it together with what Billy did already, you know, and, and it worked out really well, I thought. so. Yeah, and you made a mic stand out of that luggage. Yeah, we didn't have a mic stand, so Michael had a suitcase with him, and he kind of pulled the handle up and then, like, taped the mic to the top of the handle and then put it on a chair. <laughs> I'm like, man, if people could see this, you know. <laughs> oh, right there. That's my, that's my kind of shit right there, that MacGyver crap. I love yeah. that. Oh, it's, you know, I, I have a photo of it somewhere. I'll, I'll send nice. it over. Uh, it should be a fucking on the album cover of him. Yeah. Vocals, <laughs> fucking, the telescopic handle on the, ah, uh, it's fucking great. I'll never, I'll never hear that song the same way again. Now I'm yeah, you can just picture him singing into a suitcase, you know? Yeah. Let, me, let me ask you this. How come he just didn't hold the mic? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Ah, you know, it's weird. It's up. It's a person's choice. Yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, you're right. Why? Why do I give a shit? Right? Yeah. Well, you know what? He kind of gets into it too. Yeah, yeah. Then yeah. he gets into it in the studio. You know, I mean, he'll he'll kind of be like this, and I can imagine uh, the recording okay, right. maybe wouldn't have been as good. But right. Yeah. yeah. So tell me, um, tell me the song Frankie, 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 come home. Who is Frankie? Oh, you know, it's it's uh. <laughs> it's a it's a you know the uh the cray brothers they were like the london gangsters okay it's, it's about the cray brothers they were these twins that like ruled like the, the east london in the 60s you know these kind of murderous east london gangsters wow. and there's a movie called legend uh with tom hardy plays both brothers in the movie oh, and, right. uh, and the line is actually from that movie and it's kind of loosely about that Oh, so, wow. Don't wow. worry, I didn't know anything about it either until Rich told me. Like, honestly, like I've I've written pretty much all the lyrics except maybe like a chorus thing that Rich has come up with for Halo songs. And so that was the thing when Rich was like that better days song and then this one. Rich is like, oh, I've got these songs, I wrote the lyrics to them. And I've had other people write lyrics to me and just went, No, fuck you, it's shit. I'm not singing that. Right. These I was like, both these songs, I was like these are fantastic, you know, and do I mind singing is it that I won't sing someone else's lyrics? No, but I won't sing shitty lyrics, but these are fantastic songs. And I was like, of course I'll sing these. And this song really, when Rich, I didn't know anything about the Cray Brothers until Rich told me, and I was like, same thing, well, what's this about? And Rich told me, so I watched, instead of watching the movie, I watched a documentary on them, and I was like, oh, this is really fascinating. And yeah, that's something I wouldn't have written. That's awesome. I, I'm stoked on that. You know, I'm singing about a topic I wouldn't have even written about. And no, it's fantastic. So, and I love the song. So yeah, I think it's great. The shit, yeah. we, all, we all learned something today from Rich. Yeah. <laughs> it was like educating and inform, you know? There's your history lesson on the Talk Louder podcast. Quest for Fire. Well, you know, it was a book. And <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, Billy, uh, so yeah. you're talking about writing lyrics. Uh, I, I don't know exactly what you do for a living, but I get the, uh, get the, I get the idea that you spend a lot of time by yourself and overnight and that sort of thing. Do you get, uh, do you, does your inspiration come to you in those times of solitude or do you tend to like sit down and say, I'm going to, I'm going to write something or does things just come to you in the middle of the night while you're, you know, doing whatever you do for a living. Other times it's, as I say, immediately just comes to you, but I work in Vancouver right now, our homeless situation. It's like, we're like old school Detroit down here right now. <laughs> Literally wow. like the yeah, crime level, the, yeah, the poverty on the street. There's 10 cities, like I live in Gastown and two blocks away, you've got the whole street is tents filling the streets, right? Now, 
ever since I was a kid, I used to come down to this area, Hastings. It's like our sort of our skid row, our bad area. And ever since I was a kid, I always come to Gastown and Hastings. And then I've always had this sort of thing where I'd hang out with people that didn't have the sort of easy walk in life down here. I made best friends, got in a lot of trouble. And I've always found sort of my best allegiances down around here. So I was looking for a job and I got in this thing, social housing. It's a government job and basically housing people that are poor and people that are out on the street and giving them housing. And a lot of people have, you know, some issues and stuff, but I can relate to them more than I can, like, say, like a banker or a business guy. I usually get along with them better. So a lot of my writing, you know, write what you know and was the environment around you. That and also touring a lot. A lot of the albums written from just the fact of touring some of these reckless tours we did, like years of touring nonstop. And, you know, when you look back at some of that now and you, you don't realize it when it's happening, it used to, in fact, right while I was on tour in, in our van on tour. But now looking back and stuff, it's like, it's even more easy to write. It's like, oh, yeah. That's, I know. I, I want to get back out there. God, that was terrible. And yeah, you're right. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny. Out of the four of us, which guy would you think works for the government? <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> right? I, don't I think we could give him a pretty fucking good guess, though. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it would be hard. It would be hard for them to guess. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah true. Or um, Narcan in your into your system and like give you mouth to mouth and pump your chest while you're overdosing. Jeez. Wow. <laughs> Man. Yeah. yeah. All another day at the office, huh? Wow. Yeah, needs to do it. Someone's got to be there, right? That's true. Yeah. Someone's got to do it. So uh, thank you for doing it. I'm sure it's uh, much appreciated. People can relate to who's, who understands the situation and then some Skippy McPickle fresh-faced kid who's looking going, oh, my God, because that kid's not going to get it done in time. No, they're going to they're oh, Google it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's fucking true. You guys know it. They're gonna go. Right. What do I do? Yeah. Oh, they're not even dialing nine one one or whatever nine yeah. nine nine. They're fucking googling. I, I wouldn't yeah. want Skippy McPickle. And when I woke up, I wouldn't want Skippy McPickle shaking me, going, "Are you okay?" I'd want me going, "Hey, man, <laughs> that was close." Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. Don't worry, that guy died. He couldn't get on the Wi-Fi. You know, right. <laughs> Wow, that's that shit is real though, man. Yeah. The, uh, another another song on the album, and and then we'll move on. But I just wanted to focus on the album because it's uh, it's pretty solid. Uh, there was a track on there called uh, "Forget Me Not," and and "Not" is spelled with a K. So yeah. I was curious to. And, and by the way, it's a super catchy song. I'm driving around listening to it in my car, and that's it's got this lyric that's it's talking about old time rock and roll and just being in love with rock and roll. And there's a, a line in there that says with the with the yeah, yeah, yeah's and the whoa, whoa, whoa's. And it's just it's, it sounds so simplistic, but it's absolutely perfect for that song and that spot in that song. And it's stuck in my head. So tell me, number one, why is the title written with a K? Forget me not. And then what's the inspiration behind that song besides possibly just a tribute to the love of rock and roll? Well, you know, the, the not thing it's, it is, it's like. I like old stuff. I like a lot. You know, I sang about the flea circus at one time, and I've always got a thing for nostalgia. And, you know, you used to tie a knot around your finger, right? Yeah. To remember that old thing, tie a knot around your finger to remember things. And Oh, I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so, you know, that's sort of where that, that sort of comes in. I like plays on words, too. And, you know, I just say earlier how the computer has made us really stupider because I can remember my parents' phone number, their postal code, their address. I can't remember my password I made yesterday, right? Yeah. <laughs> Back then we had to remember things, and that sort of thing would be like, well, if I tie a little piece of rope around my finger, I won't forget. Well, I don't think people are really forgetting as much as we are nowadays, right? Yeah. 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 And I mean, musically, that song... Um, it's funny to me, like the, the band used to get compared to the New York Dolls a lot. And I'm like, I don't hear it. You know, I mean, I love the New York Dolls, but I'm like, I didn't hear it at all in what we were doing. And I'm like, you know, it'd be kind of fun to do something like that. Um, 
And it was right around the time that Sylvain passed as well. And I just, I played at the tribute thing they did. Like there was like a live stream thing. And, I, and my head was kind of in that space. I'm like, we kind of, you know, it'd be cool to do a song that was more that vibe because it's really different for the band, I think. Yeah. So that's where we, that's where it would kind of went musically. And then, uh, and then Billy just kind of, like, I think first, like the first thing you sent me back, I'm like, man, you just nailed it right away, you know? So. Hey, and that's it. I think, I, I think, see, Rich was going with the dolls thing. I think I was sort of hitting that Ian Hunter moment, right? <laughs> I was going. That's also of, fair, yeah. yeah. I was hitting the hoop. I was like slam dunking the hoople there. And I think that sort of like, yeah. And that's it. Like, you know, I love, I've loved rock and roll since I was a kid. I've, I've, it's been like my whole mission and like my greatest love. It's been rock and roll throughout the ages, like the 50s stuff all the way up. And when it comes down to it, that's sort of it. The yeah, 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 and the whoa, whoa, whoa's. That's really, you know, those, you gotta, that's it. You gotta love those. When you're writing a song, I think yeah, people sort of don't realize that. You know, the Misfits, the Ramones, any, any great band, the things you love from the Beatles going, she loves you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How simplistic that was. But hey, it worked, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> didn't you sing along, kids? But, you know, one thing I, I say to uh, Sammy Affa a lot, who plays in Michael's band with me, you know, because we talk about different kinds of music. And I'm like, you know, the guys like us that play rock, I'm like, we're kind of like the jazz guys were now, like when we were younger, you know, there's not a lot of like young kids that listen to guitar rock anymore. You know, we're kind of like, a little bit a little bit like old people music you know what i mean if you think about what like rock is on the radio now it's fucking imagine dragons or whatever i'm like I, you know right. i don't hear any rock in that at all right. um, and and i'm like that's kind of unfortunately and i think like jan wenner said it recently too right he was talking about the rock hall of fame he's like rock's over it's like jazz now and people were laughing at him I'm like i'm like i kind of been saying that for a long time though. it does feel a little bit like that you know there's there's a fan base there for sure but it's like you know the grammy awards it's like you know they give out the rock awards before the things even on tv these days right. you know it's, mm. it's it's kind of a it's it's a lot more it doesn't dominate music like it used to you know right. yeah, but i'd like to do devil's advocate here and say that i think you know like with things like oh, who would have figured electro swing would have come out right and that kids the thing about kids nowadays and i think when retro world sort of nailed that our song retro world is that look it's just going to keep going around because there's always some kid who's going to look and go and i don't get it at times why because there's better technology out there but it's some kid who's going to look and go <laughs> typewriter <laughs> cool <laughs> and like, you know I think with rock and roll with music, it's the same thing. Like when we were listening to music, I remember when I'm being a kid and you'd always listen to stuff before you and go, I was always looking for stuff that was before my time and going, oh, this is really cool. And now it's like, I listen to like jazz and I listen to like a lot of old, really old stuff as well. And I go, you're always on the search for that thing that's sort of like, well, no one else is into this, and I'm into it. So if it, if it is that kids aren't into it right now, I think that's really cool because that means it's going to be a research. Whenever something becomes hip and cool, it gets overblown, and then it ends up being discarded, and then some kid walks into Value Village and goes, or like your thrift store and goes, oh, man, I'm going to start wearing this again. This, this is cool and edgy because no one's wearing this. And then suddenly everyone looks and goes, I'm going to wear a trucker baseball cap too, man. All right. And then everyone does it again and it goes, becomes unpopular again. And, right. you know, saying that glam is on a research and I'm like, glam's on a research again. <laughs> yeah. This is turning into like the get off my lawn podcast. Right. <laughs> I, I have this theory. I think people forget that like there was a Christmas story two movie made a few years back, and as I said, nowadays we forget things and we're getting dumber that they forget that, and now they're going, hey, there's a new Christmas story movie, Christmas Story 2 coming out, and everyone's like, oh my God, that's amazing. It's like, well, they just did one a few years ago. You just forgot about it. And the same thing happens where rock and roll, it's going to keep coming back, and it keeps, like, our type of rock and roll, it disappears for a while, and then everyone jumps on a new bandwagon, but people keep coming back to it. I mean, Oh, it yeah. just seems to always go that way. And I, then some kid looks and goes, you guys, I've never heard music like that before. And 
I'm like, well, it's been around for a long time, but that's cool. As long as you're getting into it. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I have this theory that, you know, it never really goes away. And I'm not, I, I'm yeah. agreeing with everything you're saying, but it never yeah. goes any, anywhere. And it's not really dormant because there's people <clears throat> out there in this room uh, that it's not, it doesn't go away for you. You always have liked what you have always liked. Yeah. And all of us can say that too. Uh, we wear it on our sleeve who we are all the fucking time. So there's yeah. no question, like just become this, just because this new thing is trendy and comes in, yeah. uh, you know, I can watch the dollar bill blow right by me. <laughs> and there's a lot of people that are chasing that. Well, that means they have to change their whole fucking wardrobe. They yeah. have to do something different to their hair just to sort of keep up with the fucking Joneses. And that makes no <laughs> sense at all. It's like, dude, you're going to drive yourself fucking mad. Yeah. You know, having to think that way sounds like a lot of fucking work. So listening to old rock and roll or whatever it is that you like, I don't care if it's Britney Spears or Disney pop or whatever. It doesn't matter to me. If that's yeah. your fucking thing, bleed the shit. Bleed oh, yeah. it all the time. It never goes anywhere. It's right there fucking in front of you. That's your best friend. You're going to leave your best friend to go make new ones? Fuck no, you're not. That's something like I when I was I figured that one out pretty young, you know. When I was a teenager, I'm like I would see these bands that you'd see kind of changing styles and and trying to like like be hip and current. And and when you know when we started Black Halos, you know we started the band in like '94. It was like grunge and it was Vancouver, you know, and everyone was like you know dressing like Lane Staley and and we were like just the complete opposite. So I'm like I don't give a shit. I'm like this is what we you know believe in. This is the kind of band we want to be. And then the irony, of course, is that we ended up signing the Sub Pop. Right. Which was like, you know, grunge headquarters. And, and there were so many people who were like, what the fuck, you know? I've been doing my best Alice in Chains impersonation for a year here. Nobody's interested, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and here comes these guys yeah. with the black hair and the eyeliner and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this you segue nicely into uh, a question I had. So I, I remember the first time I heard the Black Halos, I was at uh, Casino El Camino here in Austin, Texas. And anyone familiar with Austin may know Casino. It's a bar on 6th Street. It's sort of like a heavy metal punk rock dungeon. And they're known for their hamburgers, but they're equally known for their jukebox. And the jukebox is amazing. How many how many jukebox uh, in, in Austin, Texas? I guess this is for Dave. How many jukeboxes in Austin, Texas have rose tattoo on it? I don't know, but that's I know my point. That's that's my they point. Do. That's and, my point right there. And my point is, I'm sitting in there. I used to start all my nights at casino. I'd start there and then start making my way down the street. But I was in there one time and I heard uh, the Violent Years, and I'm I heard it and I was like, I don't know this song. What is this? This is great. And I got up and I ran over to the jukebox and I found out it's this band, the Black Halos, and the song is called Violent Years. The album's called Violent Years. And I was like, I have to buy this tomorrow, first thing, if I can find it. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so so anyway, I get the album and I become a, a big fan of it. And I noticed, just like you're saying, Rich, it's on Sub Pop Records. It came out at the height of grunge. Jack and Dino is the producer who's known for working with all the, the grunge bands. So was that... Was was working with Jack and being on Sub Pop a matter of convenience because you guys were in Canada and he was in Seattle? Or did you actually hear an album or two that he had done that you went, I want that sound for our band? Yeah, that's that's totally what happened. He he made two records before that that uh, you still stand up to this day. He did the uh, Zeke kicked in the teeth record, Ooh, yeah. and he did a record by the, this band, the Makers. I don't know if you know yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did he did the Makers uh, Psychopathia Sexualis record, and both those records are really killer records, great rock and roll records, and they sound totally different from each other, but they're great sounding records. And I'm like. You know, we were talking. We talked about a lot of different people, but I'm like, you know, Jack's here. He gets the vibe, and and he was also the kind of guy that, you know, he was, you know, the height of grunge. He's like, man, you know, they pay me all this money to go make a Soundgarden record, but he's like, I don't need to make, you know, ten of those records a year. He goes, I make one of those to pay the bills, and then I make the records I want to make. Um, and so because of that, you know, we could afford him. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, and you know, and he's he, he's a guy that you know he he is 
famous, I guess, for the whole grunge thing, but he, you know, he's produced all kinds of stuff. You know, he did a Bruce Dickinson solo record. Um, oh, wow. You know, he, he does, you know, he did a helicopters uh, single, I guess he did. And, super and, you know, suckers. Just, Didn't he do super suckers? Yeah. I think he did some super sucker stuff. You know, he'd yeah. done the murder city devils before yeah. us. So yeah, he's known for the grunge stuff, but you know, he's, he's much more well-rounded than that. And, uh, and, you know, he ended up becoming a, like a great friend of the band too. He sounds, he sounds renaissance. He sounds like he's got, you know, uh, he can do, he can do anything. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think he was doing some like, like Brazilian, like, like kind of, you know, trumpet ensemble or something before he came to do our record. You know, he's one of those kind of guys. That's a, that's a slightly different frequency than the black halo. So that that record before before my wife and I got married and lived together, we had this long distance relationship. I was in Austin and she was in Houston. And that record, The Violin Years, was my soundtrack for so many drives between Austin and and uh, and Houston. And then right. I turned her on to it, and it sort of became our album, you know. So I've got a lot of great memories associated with it. And it was just like I said, sort of an accidental discovery. But uh, there's the beauty of music right there, right? No kidding, man. That's amazing. That means a lot to hear, too. Oh, yeah. yeah it's a, that's a good. It's a great record. And so do you do you think, having said all that, do you think the record got the push it deserved? Yeah, probably get the push it deserved. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I, would, I would have liked to have gotten a bigger push, but, you know. Well, yeah, um, it, it didn't get, did it get pushed off the cliff? I, I don't. Yeah. You know, it actually, it did, like, weirdly well here in Canada. Like, we were, like, having video play, you know, it was, like, on the radio here yeah, and yeah. stuff which I just never expected. Right. You know, uh, cause it's, you know, we're not, we're not really, like I said, we, you know, we weren't trying to kind of be in fashion at the time and we weren't trying to chase any kind of sound. We're just like, this is our band. And yeah. I guess maybe it was the tail end of like green day and all that shit, you know, and, and, and radio was looking for like punk bands. That's all I can really think. But, um, that's valid. You know, I mean, I think it was pretty well promoted, but, but it, it just, they just stopped at one point and they kind of screwed us over. They left us stranded out in like Eastern Canada with a broken band and no money. And long yeah. story. Yeah. <laughs> well, so go, uh, ahead, yo, go ahead, Billy. Jonathan Poneman, uh, I remember you. It's, uh, he was, it's not his fault. He was on a yogic retreat or something, we were told, on top of a mountain or something, so he couldn't be reached. You know, it's not really, it's not really his fault. I mean, he's probably in deep meditation or something. So I have a bottle above him or something, you know, I don't know. It sounds, <laughs> it sounds kind of made up to me, but okay. <laughs> hey, if you're going to come up with an That's excuse, a, meditating on a mountain yeah, somewhere. A good one. Yeah, a he can't. Good one. He can't come to your rescue right now. I know your van is fucked and you're on the side of the road with your finger up your pee hole, but uh, sorry, I'm meditating right now. Fuck you. <laughs> I like to picture him there, you know, levitating on top of a mountain with these, like, you know, these guys in robes around him, these Tibetan monks around him doing this. Oh, I like to, you know, sort of like still picture that in my head, you know, so. This is, this is definitely what happened. Yeah. Well, if that was if that shit was real and it was really as you said billy that's pretty impressive yeah you know i don't know you know i've heard of stuff with bands with their gurus on tour and some crazy stories that yeah. people swear are true so i don't know you know you never know rock and roll's a crazy thing yeah yeah i would our story if i was to write a book about the black halos no one would believe it people would be like yeah he's just like making this shit up exaggerating you know it's that couldn't have happened and i'm like no it did i was there it's you know like star wars the force is real yeah. <laughs> yeah. oh moment we started the at the top of the conversation i asked you guys what took so long to get you back together the two of you back together along with jay um uh, but it should be mentioned that one of the reasons you guys broke up back in the day is because your van and all your merch and all your gear got stolen. And that kind of was the end of the band. Is that right? That was later on. That, uh, we were, I think, uh, things that incident was, yeah, I was in Montreal. I was like, so for me, it was like the tail end when our album, Rich wasn't around, Jay wasn't in the band at that point. And yeah, our van got stolen in Montreal with our trailer and our gear. and. For me, it was like death blow, right? It was like, ah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I wasn't happy at that point anyway. So, you know, it's kind of like gave me the, the ultimate excuse. That's sort of like, well, guys, 
See, I don't know if you noticed, but the last <laughs> album I wrote, everything I wrote was pretty much about you guys and how I want out of here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it gave me that sort of da, 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 music to escort myself out. Da, 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 da. <laughs> you know, yeah, that is, it's the worst thing, you know, I think it's the thing every band fears and it's the worst thing. Like you steal someone's musical equipment, you steal their dog. These are the worst things someone can really do, in my opinion. Stealing a girl or a job, that's not so bad. But you know, once you take someone's gear, yeah. and it's like, man, uh, uh, you just die. Yeah. <laughs> Stealing the carpenter's tools, man. Yeah, you know, yeah. just worst thing ever. That's your whole livelihood. Yes. Was that the tour? Was that the tour when you were out? Uh, you came to Austin to do South by Southwest, and I think you were out with the River City Rebels. Uh, no, it was after that. It was after okay. that. You know, drums ain't cheap. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I my son is a drummer, so I can yeah. I can appreciate yeah, that. Drums ain't cheap. <laughs> a lot of people. A lot of people don't realize the cymbal pack is like your cymbals oh, yeah. are fucking like. Shit, it's brass, but no, it's gold, man. They charge a yeah. lot. Good, good symbols, good sounding symbols. Fucking pricey. Yeah, you know, it's it's insane too. It's like it's like the biggest instruments, like the biggest pan they ask the hall around. Everything's super expensive. You know, you don't get any of the glamour. I'm like, why does anyone become a drummer, man? Yeah, <laughs> sitting in the back in the dark. You know, oh, seriously, right? <laughs> Billy, I guess you can sit down for the whole show, though, so that's something. Yeah, I guess, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. And in, in, the, in the early days, you're the one lugging your own gear on top of all that, too. So, yeah, that that's... You know, if you're a night ranger, they'll pull you up front for Sister Christian. <laughs> <laughs> Billy, did I, did I hear, or did you tell me, or somewhere through the grapevine, did I hear that you were in the running for to to be the front man of the revived uh dead boys and uh, no, that's when it came up one night though when um rocket was playing rocket from the tombs was playing in vancouver and cheetah asked me backstage and i said no, <laughs> no. <laughs> like no i said actually as i said i don't want to live in a dead man's shoes and you know like I just I didn't think it was cool and right, so I said no gracefully. And then Jeff Magnum at CBGB's when we played CBGB's, Jeff Magnum was there, and he said, "You know, there are some questions for you." And one of the questions was that, "You know, so Cheetah, you know, he's talking about doing this. What do you think?" And I said, uh, "I told him no already." And he goes, "That's the right answer." Wow! And he took my answer. That's the right answer. And I was like. Yeah, you know, and he said, you know, I heard you guys sound like the dead boys. I was watching you guys. I don't hear it. And I was like, yeah, you know, whatever, you know. But now I said it's a total compliment if someone says it. You know, you guys are fantastic. And But, yeah, just, I don't know. You know, it's that thing, like, Michael Graves, uh, how do you think he's feeling right now? I think Danzig proved his point. What do you want? When you see the Misfits, I want Danzig singing. Yeah. Now, yeah. And it's a real hard jump for that stuff. And, you know, like when these bands do that now, like where it's like, yeah, we've got one member and it's the drummer. Yeah. Yeah. And I always say that with the Dead Boys thing and any of these bands, I say that the Simpsons already did it when they had that episode with, all right, who likes the Doobie Brothers out there? Because we've got one of them. you know it's it's that thing like tommy there you know i'm sure he's a great guy but don't sing shock me (laughs) i think any of those gigs are are a tough gig to do you know and and you kind of you've either got to approach it with like a ton of reverence or you got to approach it like this is just my job man you know yeah Yeah. Um, I've I've worn those shoes before recently. Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. Jason yeah. just filled in a couple gigs fronting except. Oh what? yeah. yeah. I, did, did I, I just played yeah. with except in the summer in Germany. <laughs> wow. I just did four shows on the East Coast yeah. with fronting except because their singer yeah. was sick. Wow, I'm sure you were great. But, yeah, I'm sure you were great, but Except without Udo, it's unacceptable to me. Yeah, I will see. Now you're yeah. you're thinking like me going in, right? But the thing is, Mark Tornillo has been in the band twelve years. I understand your argument fully, bro. But here's the deal: 
Mark is a legend. You know, he was yeah. at PT Quick. He's been around forever. The guy is a fucking got such a he's a killer throat, man. He's fucking powerful. He's been in the band for 12 years and done five records. He, he's been in the band longer than Udo was. I know, so, but yes, I've, I heard Udo. But what we, but dude, what we, but what we fell in love with was yes. Udo. So I get it. So trust yeah. me, I was channeling Udo more than I was channeling Mark. So. Udo, I saw Udo on tour. Oh yeah, when he played here in Vancouver, and I saw Sepp when they played, and I have to take Udo's side on that. I have to because same like the Wasp thing. I'm sorry, but Chris Holmes doing Wasp. It, that singer he's got is not cutting it. Blackie oh. with the other guys, he's doing a great job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm just honest. Like Udo, I, I was like, no, I've seen Udo. I was like, this band is killer, and Udo's killing it. It's very rare. Like Teenage Head, we just saw a Canadian band Teenage Head play, and because Gordy Lewis, the guitar side, and that's a very rare case where that lineup. I think they only have like the the bass player, the original member, but they did a fantastic job at it. I'm on yeah. saying it is that point where it's like, are they really doing a fantastic job? And yeah, they did a great job at it. It's a rare thing, you know, like yeah. replacing a singer. I was at the Brian Johnson back in black, the first tour here in Vancouver. And I remember the guy who took me, he was like, Bon Scott, screw this guy. And everyone they had the banners up, you know, and yeah. people were doing. And at the end, I this, he was an older guy, Cord Copeland was in his, legendary gang the east fan gang and you know i was just a kid and i looked up at him and i'm like and he goes he was all right <laughs> let's go back, back. Oh, right, he he's all right <laughs> <laughs> like yeah and i was like oh brian johnson i was like yeah you know he's really he's this is really cool that stuff was really cool but i had to look at chords still to get the okay yeah. and you know that's sort of like i think Young kids is that, but there is that point. Like I'm, I know kid people say that the Michael Gray's Misfits their favorite, but yeah, I guess it's, maybe it's what you heard first. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I think it's what you fall in love with is what you kind of sort of take to the grave. You take, yeah. to, you know, you're taking that with you because it's your heart. And I don't, uh, I don't. I mean, we've talked about this on this show a thousand yeah. times literally we even had a an episode called replacement singers yeah, yeah. It, was a, it was a really hard episode to sort of like grasp uh because yeah. dude i mean every, i mean i like sammy hagar but i i'm not gonna go listen to sammy hagar front van halen no yeah, like, i'm not gonna do it i i love sammy hagar but you know what i'm not gonna go listen i don't want to hear sammy hagar sing running with the devil you know yeah, yeah. i think in the case in the, you know that's what's great about music too right it's taste is subjective it's it's yeah. like you yeah. know, uh, the sammy hagar van halen is arguably more successful than the day I, I, it, yeah. it is it is uh right. te technically even by numbers so yeah and, and so weird. you know and, and so obviously more people like those yeah. records you know but i think mostly you know most guys that play music and grew up with that they're gonna be like well you can't beat dave you know right right so, Right. It's, well, subjective. I, 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 it's subjective, man. Yes, it is. It's the, always going to be. I think yeah, in, the case, the, in the case of the Misfits, in the case of the Misfits, you have to remember that they were dead and gone, and there was a whole maybe two generations of kids that grew up without the Misfits. So mm. when they finally come back with Michael Graves, that's yeah. the first opportunity to buy a record, see a concert. So he kind of had an advantage in the fact that the first version of the misfits was so far removed by a couple of generations even and that might sort of explain how like you were talking to billy how does how does some kid favor you know the michael graves yeah. version over the danzig version but um i wanted to since we're you know since uh, billy's winning the t-shirt contest here today and since he's obviously been influenced by the great dan mccafferty billy of course for those who are listening and not watching is wearing a nazareth t-shirt uh, tell us a little bit about the importance of uh, Dan McCafferty on your vocal style and your just your love of rock and roll in, in general. Yeah, well, when I when I was a kid, there's my older brother. He's a couple years older than me. He had this French exchange student come and stay with us. And, you know, we were in elementary school, and I was into Kiss. Right, my walls were covered in Kiss pictures. You know, I was totally into Kiss. And, 
he had this Naz Gene Fest with Nazareth Expect No Mercy painted on the back and the logo and studs. I remember looking at it going, oh, that's so cool. Hey, where'd you get that? And he's like, oh, this chick I know made it to me. And this is an elementary school kid made it for me. And I was like, did you get to do a kiss one for me? And he looked at me and goes, kisses for babies. Nazareth, that's real. <laughs> and I was like, wow. You know, so I started, I was like, okay, I took him, he actually, Nazareth played in that year and recorded the Snaz live album at the Coliseum. And that was at that time. He snuck out my bedroom window. And, you know, like, I think he was about 10 years old. He sneaks out my bedroom window and goes to the Nazareth concert, comes back in the morning, bangs on the window. I let him in and he's like, you should have come. That was the best thing ever. But anyways, he was so badass doing that stuff and smoking at that age. I was like, oh, yeah, I got to check out Nazareth, right? So I got um, the, my favorite album, No Mean City. And I bought that album immediately. And, yeah, I was just like, okay, look as cool as Kiss at that time. Because I was just a kid and Kiss, the gimmick was, you know, I was sold. But it's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, they, they look kind of like old guys, you know, guys got a mustache and stuff, looks like crime. <laughs> you know, I'm not really down with this. And he's got a bitch not shirt, and, you know, it's not as cool as Kiss, but I listened to that album and I was like, oh yeah, like this is real gritty. This stuff's really gritty. And, you know, Kiss well, used to be gritty in the early days, some of their, the first couple albums, but by the time I was really getting into Kiss, they were already starting with the hitting that kid market. And Nazareth weren't like that. They were still singing about whiskey and, you know, getting stabbed and, and stuff like that. So I was really, I was really turned on by that and the badassery of it. And of this kid, Mark, from Quebec, that introducing me to Nazareth. So, yeah, it really sold me. And I, I say it all the time, like, the vocal styling, you know, I was, I was born with this golden voice. And when you're born with a voice like this, you kind of, I remember, like, being told, yeah, you're never going to make it as a singer, kid, and that thing. But then you hear guys like that, and you're like, oh, yeah, well, he's got a voice kind of like mine, too. And, yeah, it's kind of gritty and, you know, yeah, sharp and gritty. I like that. It's someone yeah. doing, you know, Dan McCaffrey. I interviewed him, and he gave me some great and great advice. That was in the 90s. He gave me some great advice. He, I said, you know, how do you get your voice like that? And keep your voice like hitting those high notes and stuff. And how do you keep your voice in such great shape? And you've been doing it for years. He goes, oh, I drink whiskey and I smoke cigarettes. Yeah. <laughs> he, goes, yeah. he goes, Robert Plant, uh, we played with Robert Plant. And he's like, what temperature is the oxygen in this room? And he goes, worry about this stuff. I just go in, I guess, say, give me, a, give me my whiskey. I take a drink of whiskey and I light a cigarette and I say, let's get to work. And I was like, you know, I was like, great advice. Thank you, Dan McCaffrey. And yeah, what a great, you know, just one of those voices. I, yeah, he had, I got an email actually when he was the first quitting, he was first retiring and asking if I wanted to go and audition. Wow. And from him, actually, from when I had interviewed yeah. him in the email address, I think I still have it somewhere from the email address that, yeah, I sent the interview to because it was a, over. We did a, over the phone and then an email interview. Questions both both versions and um, that email. He's like, "Yeah, I was wondering if you you're interested in retiring. I was wondering if you'd like to come and try out. I think you'd be great." And uh, same thing where we were talking about. I was like, "I can't hit the highs of Telegram, man. The start of Telegram, that screaming high that he hits when he goes, God, the Telegram guys. I'm like, that's." <laughs> And I can't hit that note, right? But wow. then I watched the guy they got now. No offense to him. I'm sure he's a nice guy. But, but I don't think he's cutting it. You know, I really don't think he's cutting it. Maybe I that was what I said to Dan when I sent the email back to Dan. I said, you're irreplaceable. Your voice is irreplaceable. I wouldn't want to hear the band with anyone else singing. I think it's the band should retire if you retire. Because mm. honestly, that voice, yeah. that voice, that's what I want. When I hear Shanghai to Shanghai, I want that voice, right? Of course. We played a festival in Finland a few years ago with Michael, and uh, and we pulled up, you know, into the backstage, and and it was it was pretty quiet backstage, and there was a just a guy sitting at a table there, 
drinking whiskey. And I went on the bus and we're like, is that Dan McCafferty? And it was. And it turned out he was playing the same festival with us. Wow. And so he was just sitting on his own, just drinking whiskey at this little table. Yeah. And uh, and so we went over, you know, we talked to him. And, he, you know, super gracious, really nice guy, but in really bad health, you know. Yeah. Um, and I, I didn't realize the extent of how bad it was until he came out on stage and it, it was just him. And he had a backing tape of like Nazareth from the seventies. It was like a live show, um, but just the band. And, um, and they, they, a guy had to kind of, you know, put his arm around him and walk him out onto the stage to a chair at the front. And he sat in his chair and they just lowered the mic to him. And, uh, and Michael came out and introduced him and you could see the crowd was like, what is this, this dude sitting in a chair with no band, you know? And, uh, and then the first song kicks in and and he just starts singing and that voice comes out and, uh, and the whole place gets to their feet, you know, wow. and, and if the, you know, I went with nothing. We're all side of the stage and I'm looking around side stage and there's like not a dry eye in the house. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, was, it was unreal. And, and you could tell like he was struggling, like, you know, yeah. the guy can barely walk, but man, he could sing. Wow. Oh, unbelievable. I literally got goosebumps as yeah, you were I'm, I'm that Mike, story. I'm getting- <laughs> I'm getting verklempt over here. Yeah. <laughs> and Mike, well, Michael, seriously, man, we're like grown men at the side of the stage, like crying watching this. You know what yeah. I mean? I <laughs> wanted to cry. I wanted to cry so bad the other day, but I was, I was, I was, I had to power through that. Hey, Billy, you just became the coolest motherfucker in the room. You were asked to audition <laughs> for Nazareth. Wow. Yeah. yeah. But it's that thing, like, come on, man. Like, no, oh. if they say that voice, that guy, like, I say a certain singer is like Roy Orbison, you know, he opens his mouth just a little bit and the angels fly out. Yeah. That, yeah. That, that, uh, he opens his mouth and it's like a shrieking banshee, right? Comes tearing out there. Yeah. It's like a banshee. No, he, he changed the world, man. He oh, changed yeah. the fucking world. Oh. Yeah. I think oh. we can all agree that uh, one of the greatest of all time and a huge loss the other day. So oh, cheers, yeah. cheers yeah. to you, Dan McCafferty. Thanks for all the music. Um, speaking of the music, are you guys going to tour this new album? And more importantly, are you going to get to North America where I can see you, uh, Texas specifically? <laughs> I'm being uh, greedy here. It's like the million dollar question. I mean, I mean, uh, we just announced a bunch of dates in January, just in Canada, like West Coast and, and Ontario here. Um, it, you know, because everyone's everyone's got day jobs now. I mean, that's the truth of it. Um, so if we do stuff, it's got to make sense. Um, that makes sense in terms of like, is it going to help the band? But also like, you know, are we going to make some money? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, sure. being brutally honest, like that's that's what it is. You know, we're not 25. We're not going to get in the band for six months like we used to. Um, but we are we are going to tour, you know. Um, it just really depends, you know, how the record's received, what kind of offers we get, um, you know, if we can drag people away from their jobs for a couple of weeks. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, you know, uh, we, we do plan on, on working the record for sure. Oh, yeah. Well, I hope so, because it's a it's a really strong record for uh, it, and it drops November 25th. Is that right? That's right. Two weeks today, man. OK, so yeah. by the time this episode uh, is posted, the, the album will be out. Uh, it's well worth grabbing. It's awesome. I've been listening to it nonstop for a couple of weeks now. And uh, it's a great return from the Black Halos. I hope it puts you on the road. I hope it's, uh, as you said, well received and successful for you guys. Because uh, I want you guys to stick together as a band, man. I, I really like every time you get together, you, you produce great results. So oh, thank you. Congratulations on the album. And, hey, thanks. And, th- and, and thanks for being on the Talk Louder podcast today. We appreciate you guys. Man, thanks fun. so much for having us. It was, uh, it was really great to talk to both of you guys. Yeah, and absolutely. Billy too. That's yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> you don't see much of him, do you? Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. On behalf of my co-host, Jason McMaster, I'm Metal Dave, along with our special guests today, Rich Jones and Billy Hopeless from The Black Halos. <laughs>